1: Hey everybody, this is Stephanie Hansen and Stephanie March, and we are here recording a second helping version of the Weekly Dish podcast. We are here with our guests Mark and Beth Askegard, and they are 6th generation organic farmers. We are putting this podcast together on behalf of Minnesota Cooks, and Minnesota Cooks is a cool organization We've worked with them at the State Fair in years past, but of course, in times of COVID, our poor State Fair had to take a little bit of a rest. Uh, Minnesota Cooks is uh, supported by the Minnesota Farmers Union, and it's a partnership that helps connect family farms like Askegard Organic Farm with chefs and restaurants and folks in the local food industry that are doing great work throughout the state of Minnesota. Uh, Steph March is here with me. How you doing today, Steph? I'm good.
2: Super good. Yeah. Uh, ready to talk we, about farming because that is probably much, as much as I miss the, uh, the idea of, uh, fried foods at the state fair, I also yeah. really miss connecting with people and like seeing people from all over the, the great state come down and really just have that, that moment together. And I think that's what Minnesota Cooks for Me does is it gets us a chance to chat with farmers and have them chat with chefs. And it's like we have that moment of synergy where we're all talking about food in its total like cycle. And I miss that. So I'm so happy to be able to talk to you guys today.
1: Yes, um, we are too. Good. So Mark Askegard, you are, are you the fifth generation farmer then? And Beth is his daughter. So would that make you the sixth?
0: Yes. Yep. You have that. Absolutely correct.
1: And, and you guys, why
2: don't you tell us a little bit quickly about your farm? Cause you guys are up in Moorhead, Minnesota, right?
0: Yep. Our farm is located 12 miles south of Moorhead, Minnesota, in the Red River Valley. Uh, we have about a 1,000 acres of ground that we farm organically, and the main crops that we grow are spring wheat, flax seed, oats, and soybeans. And then we have various cover crops that are intermixed in the rotation, too.
2: And is that like a, is that, are those the crops that have always been grown on your farm, or, you know, is this something that you guys have rotated into?
0: Well, there there are crops that we have grown at one time or another. Uh, it might have been several generations ago that some of those crops were growing. But yeah, we're reintroducing some of them into our cropping rotation. And but yes, they have been growing on our farm uh, going back several generations.
1: Organic farming is something that I think I don't did it start in the 70s that that became a term and have you guys always farmed this way and then you just happen to kind of be in vogue and good responsible stewards of the land?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, my father, um, who was the fourth generation originally, he farmed organically, but then as times changed and technology advanced, he uh, converted his organic lifestyle to uh, conventional farming. And then uh, we transitioned our farm starting back in 1995 to organics so we've been certified organic for what, 22 years now, or or more.
1: And once you have that certification, because I know it's hard to get, does do you have to like reapply every year? Because we hear a lot in our grocery stores about you know natural foods and sustainable foods, but really, unless it has the organic designation, it's hard to know what that really means, right?
3: Yep, that's correct. So um, for the organic certification, it's a three-year conversion process. So if you had a, had a field that you sprayed with chemicals, you could apply for organic certification and it would take three years for that field to be actually certified organic. And then we have an, expe- an inspection every year. So yeah, uh, we have to keep maintaining that certification.
0: Yeah, so during those three years of transition, we can't use any synthetic pesticides or fertilizers on that piece of ground. We have to refrain from using any genetically modified seeds also.
1: And is that hard to do? Because we've heard about some lawsuits of people that these genetically modified seeds are kind of everywhere and seeds blow in the wind. Um hmm and blow from like farm to farm. Is that a concern when you're an organic farm? Like how do you keep all of that junk off and out of your land? Mm
0: -hmm. It definitely is a concern, probably more so with corn since that is, you know, pollinated, uh, open pollinated. So uh, it the pollen can move from field to field and it can travel for several miles, the pollen. So it's a lot much more of a concern if you're growing corn in your rotation. Uh, the biggest concern for us is, or has been, that we've had some, you know, chemical ca- contamination from other neighboring farms or, you know, farmers. Um, not intentional, but, you know, things that carry through the wind and things like that.
3: Are you guys so up It can't can happen, but um, we also have to maintain buffer strips on the edges of all of our fields. Is it a 30-foot?
0: 25-foot is mandatory.
3: 25-foot buffer strips. So if we have any fields that neighbor a conventional field, we don't sell that 25 foot buffer as organic to allow for, you know, in case there was a drift of chemicals or something like that.
2: And are you guys, do you feel like your neighbors, your farm community up in Moorhead, are you, you know, as far as being like organic versus conventional, tell me a little bit about the relationship between your, those different kind of farms.
0: Um, Well, we have a fairly good relationship with all of our neighbors. It's just that I think our neighbors are paying more attention to us to see that, you know, what we're doing because we're doing something extremely different than what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And this younger generation has been taught how to farm with, you know, using the latest technology and that chemicals are good and that you need to have this technology and genetically modified seeds in order to produce vast amounts of food for people through, you know, because we're feeding the world supposedly. So, but overall, we have a good relationship with our neighboring farmers
3: and we're lucky that we're one of four organic farms in our general vicinity so we have some other farmers that are farming the same way as us and we can bounce ideas off of each other and kind of learn from each other along the way so it's nice to have some some support group, yeah a support group
1: Mark, you were you always interested in following in your father's footsteps? And then that question next would go to you, Beth, because I think we're seeing a lot more interest from young people getting into farming again after years of people leaving the farm. So I'm curious, Mark, how that felt for you, becoming a farmer after your father, and then Beth, how you have transferred that to your lifestyle.
0: Yeah, growing up, I always worked on the farm. I always wanted to be a farmer. That was my goal in life, was the farm. And I'm I'm happy to achieve that goal. Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm. And ever since a young age, I've always been at the farm. Um, I've grown up working here, started out at a young age, you know, pulling weeds in the field. So it's always been a part of my lifestyle. Um, I, When I grew up, I went to NDSU, and I wanted to pursue a degree in medicine. And I graduated from NDSU with a degree in health sciences. And I was working at a dermatology clinic at the time. I applied to med school twice. Uh, I didn't get into the med school and I kind of just reevaluated where I was. I realized that I really missed being outside. I loved, you know, my coworkers at the dermatology clinic, but I really missed that hands-on, hands in the dirt activity. And I talked to my dad about it and I always kind of wanted to, you know, keep the farm in my life and he was very willing and open to accepting me and giving me a role at the farm and I really wouldn't change it. I'm very happy doing what I'm doing, and I love being a part of the operation. So,
0: So yeah, I think farming organically really is uh, maintaining a career in the health field, which uh, Beth was considering pursuing. And it's just as important, I think.
2: Yeah, I was noticing, I was reading your website, and it's really about health and, you know, the healthy rural communities, not just from a sense of, you know, like, economically but it seems like by growing flax and doing these other you know kind of you know grains that are so important these oats to healthy bodies and stuff that's i think that's a really interesting connection that you've done correct
3: yeah
0: yeah i think a lot of people have missed out on the connection between healthy soil healthy animals healthy plants healthy people mm-hmm. so if the whole circle involves health health of all four of those things you're we're going to have a healthier society.
1: Okay, I have the dumb question in the group here, mm-hmm. but like how does flax seed grow? And and are you literally harvesting the seeds? I suppose you are, but then do you have to do anything to them before you make them ready to put in a package and put on my yogurt as it were?
3: Right. Well, flax seed, first of all, it's a very beautiful crop. If you've never seen a flax field, it gets bluish kind of lavender colored flowers on it so it really it looks like a field of flowers so it's very beautiful um the flax drops its flowers and it forms what's called bowls which are like little balls and the seeds form inside the balls and you can actually shake the plant and hear the seeds rattling inside like a little rattle um we harvest the flax with a combine the same combine we would use for our other crops um stored in a bin it's cleaned it can either be eaten whole or ground although it's preferential to eat the flaxseed seed ground because it has a hard seed coat on it that's difficult for your body to digest so if you want all of the nutrients inside you should grind it um
0: yeah other guess, than that it's 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 a difficult crop to grow organically because it doesn't compete well with weeds. It's got a fine stem and fine leaves, so it lets a lot of sunlight down to the ground. So whenever there's a lot of sunlight going down to the ground, it, you know, it will stimulate weed seed germination. So it, it's tougher to grow that way organically, but otherwise it's a fairly easy crop to grow. We plant it with a uh, press drill, just like we do with our spring wheat. So you just put the seeds in the ground about a half inch deep and uh, let mother nature take its course. And hopefully we have some nice weather and it emerges in a few days after seeding.
2: And how is how is the market for flax? I mean like is this something that you guys have, you know, sort of found a niche and are kind of really finding success with or is this something that is still emerging in your mind?
0: I, I think, think the flaxseed industry uh, the health food aspects of it uh, are fairly well known. Um, our market is fairly steady at this time. It's not growing a lot because there's a lot of, you know, niche health food markets that are out there like chia and hemp and everything. Mm -hmm. So those are competing products with our flaxseed. But yeah, I would say right now our flaxseed market is fairly stable.
1: Mm -hmm. And then you also grow pinto beans. Are those hard to grow? And tell me about that process.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we use a row crop planter to plant the seed directly into the soil after we till the ground a couple of times. Um, we put the seed in the ground about an inch, inch and a half deep, and then we just let the seed grow. And, uh, you know, we do various cultivation methods to, to try and control the weeds. And plus we also do some hand labor in with the pinto beans because there, again, they don't compete well with weeds either. Um, they're a little finicker, finickier yeah. crop to grow <laughs> um, just because they prefer lighter soil textures and we have a heavier soil Texture here, right in the valley on our farm. So um, we don't grow a lot of acres on our farm. Um, we try to choose the fields, pick and choose the fields that we grow them on. And uh, the conventional farmers, uh, before harvest, a lot of them will knife the crop so it'll dry down in the field, or they can spray Roundup on the pinto beans to, or, or any edible beans to kill them before harvest. Where we would have to knife them, or when we grow edible beans, we let Mother Nature take its course and wait for a frost to kill the plant. And then we just go in and direct combine them.
1: Okay. I, that's interesting that Roundup, it could potentially be sprayed right on your bean plants to kill them so that you can harvest the seeds. That sounds not so great. Yes.
0: Yeah.
3: Unfortunately, that's also the case with a lot of conventional wheat fields. Um,
0: And and old small grain fields. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those fields are sprayed with Roundup before harvest so that they dry, dry down quicker and that the, Farmers can get in the fields faster. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's kind of controversial.
2: Do you guys feel that, uh, you know, that there's – I'm kind of interested to see what your feeling is about um, how you feel that people think about farming you know, in today's culture? And is that something that you find that you have to do a lot of explaining? I mean, I know you have to explain to us because we're asking the, the smart, smart questions, but, but <laughs> do, you, do you feel like you have to sort of, you know, we've talked to some women farmers before um, who feel like they have to defend themselves as being farmers and doing that and making those choices and living this life. And I just wondered if you felt the same way, if you feel like you guys are, you know, the, the farming community is sort of, you know, at, Odds with everything else, or how is your feeling on that?
3: Well, as far as being a female farmer, I think I'm very fortunate. I have a really strong support system. Everyone in my family encourages me and is there for me and helps me. Um, I have a husband, Tony, and he supports me in farming completely. So um, obviously, there's a few limitations that I might have physically you know being able to lift certain things that you know i might need a little help with so i realize there are a few you know limitations i need help in certain areas but overall yeah. i think i think anyone who wants to farm can farm and technology is so great these days um with you know gps systems in tractors there's so many mechanics that can help you anyone who wants to farm can farm so I don't feel like I'm at a disadvantage because I'm a female.
2: And you don't feel like you have to like defend yourself to as being, as making like the farm life a choice for you.
3: No. And my I guess in my situation, no, not really. And I know that that might not be the same for everyone, but I'm.
0: Yeah. I think most consumers uh, view farmers in a positive light and uh, think that they're people that they can trust. Um, but they have a lot of questions. There's some disconnect, you know, about what modern farming is like compared to what maybe their grandfathers or their great grandfathers were doing on the farm because yeah. there's so many generations, you know, off of the farm now. So I think there's a lot of learning that yeah. a lot of questions that consumers have. But as far as being a female, I don't think there's any limitation to being a farmer as a female. And no. you know, maybe some people will think that, but I don't, I don't feel that way at all.
1: Beth, your friends, you're a pretty young person. Are your friends mm-hmm. like surprised that you're on the farm and not trying to like get away from the farm? I think I just have this in my head that mm-hmm. a lot of these farm kids were like, oh, they couldn't wait to get away from the farm. And mm-hmm. I I feel like that is changing and people are really starting to appreciate their heritage more about farming.
3: Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Um, no, I I think my friends are actually very interested in what I do. They are inquisitive. They would like to come out and visit and see what I'm doing. Um, they've been supportive.
0: Mm-hmm. I think there, again, there's so many of uh, best friends in that generation that have a disconnect with farming. So I think having a connection with Beth connects them to modern-day farming or organic farming.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's good to help educate people about farming too. So the more that people want to talk about it, I think the better. And conversations are
0: mm-hmm. important. So, Because the majority of your friends growing up didn't have an agricultural background. Correct.
2: So. I love that. All right. So I want to talk about your connection with Row 7 Seeds. Because I saw on your Instagram <laughs> that you guys had grown um, – that you have a whole oat field that you grew in conjunction with them. Tell us a little bit about Row 7 Seeds and how that, kinda, how that connection kinda of happened.
3: Well, Keith reached out to you.
0: Yeah. Um well, Row 7 Seeds, uh, I think they reached out to Elbert Lee Seed down in, uh, Elbert Lee, Minnesota, and they were looking for a recommendation for organic farmers that, uh, that could grow crops for them. And uh, they made a connection with Keith Williams from the University of Minnesota, works with their plant breeding, and uh, they just reached out to us, and yeah, things just went from there.
3: So we first learned about Row Seven Seeds at a conference we attended a year or two ago. Dan Barber, who is a chef, um, he's one of the co-founders of Row Seven Seeds, and we were really struck by their philosophies. Um, they're doing some really great work. So. Basically, from what we've learned about the company, they want to create seeds and certain crop varieties that are grown for flavor and nutrition as opposed to yield or shelf life or uniformity. Um, So they're really trying to promote healthy foods that are good for both the farmer to grow, the chef to use, and the consumer to eat. So they're doing some really great work. So we were really excited when they asked us if we would try growing these experimental oat varieties for them.
0: Yeah. It's very important to have the whole system on an organic farm supported. You know, one or two crops may be profitable, but yet one or two crops can't make up an entire rotation of a farm and support the the soil, the healthy soil. So having someone like row seven seeds become involved in this is very important for us as farmers to support our whole rotation.
1: And how nice is that to have like that closed loop so that you know Mm -hmm. that if this crop is successful that they'll purchase x amount it's almost like you have that money in the the bank so to speak.
0: Yeah it's very rewarding Mm -hmm. yeah and to let consumers know exactly where where and how their food is grown I think that's very important too because they can The traceability aspect of it is huge.
1: How long have you guys been working with Minnesota cooks and what is it about Minnesota cooks that appealed to you?
3: Well, um, did we visit with them at the state fair before?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, We visited with Minnesota cooks at the state fair probably about four years ago. (laughs) We haven't been really actively involved with Minnesota cooks. But there again, we've reached out There, they've reached out to us through the Minnesota Farmers Union, which has been a great, tremendous help.
1: And what does the Minnesota Farmers Union do for people like yourselves?
0: Well, I think that they uh, raise awareness for the general public in uh, in agriculture in general on how things are done and the different aspects of agriculture and the different uh, types of agriculture that there are, so people have a better understanding of You know, how their food is grown, where it's grown, and how the farmers themselves are uh, doing their, conducting their everyday lives, which is important. Yeah, it's huge.
3: Yeah, and Minnesota Cooks does a great job of connecting people with people who grow food. Um, So I really like how they try to help educate the public on you know, different crops. Like people might not know about flax, but when they show people that, you know, our flax is in the muesli mixes that Seven Sundays creates, it makes connection to maybe a new food people hadn't heard of before and
1: a new farmer. So.
0: And the new business. Right. Yeah.
1: That Seven Sundays product is like, for me, a real sleeper because Muesli Mm -hmm. sounds a little unsexy, you know, Uh something that you'd eat if you had like a digestive problem. And yet (laughs) every product that she makes is so like tasty and you can just, it's healthy. You feel Mm -hmm. good when you eat it. It's got a lot of good protein. And that is really, I think one of those underrated products that once it passed my Consciousness, I was like, wow, where has muesli been my whole life? I feel that way about <laughs> porridge too.
3: Yeah, I know, us too. The first yeah. time I heard about it, I was trying to
1: figure it out. I was
3: wondering, is this granola? Is yeah. this oatmeal? It's it's its own thing. So it's really it's really good and really healthy.
1: Yeah, the I just had coconut turmeric cashew, and I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, this is just amazing. Yeah, yeah.
3: That's a good one. I've had that one too.
2: <laughs> you guys, it's you a, have it's to addictive. Get you have some great recipes on your site too. You have healthy chocolate chip cookies. I'm just scrolling through. You've got whole wheat bread on there and, you know, overnight oats and all of, you know, using these energy bites. I was looking at those. I might make those later. Um, <laughs> using, you know, like grand, your ground flax seed and stuff like that. Who is there, are one of you guys like the better cook than the other one or is, who's the cook in the house? <sighs>
3: Well, really, my mom is a great yeah. cook. She comes yeah. up with a lot of awesome recipes. <laughs> she's, the, she's the
0: great cook, yeah. yeah. Not to say that Beth isn't either.
3: No, but I would <laughs> credit my mom. I yeah. would cut at my mom for all of the wonderful baking and goodies. She's very, very good
1: at that. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah. How
1: <laughs> has, go ahead. I was just going to say, how has COVID impacted life on the farm for you guys, if at all? Have you noticed changes or have you had to modify your business models?
3: As far as day-to-day daily work, it hasn't changed too many things. You know, we're kind of socially distanced to begin with. Um, we've seen in a positive light, we've seen an increase in inquiries about our products. I think people are starting to look more into where their food comes from and locally sourcing products. I think the uh, pandemic has kind of shed some light on that. So it's almost... Hate to say it, but it's been almost positive for us in a, in that way.
0: Yeah, you know, with people staying it. at home, you know, they're looking at online ordering and things like that too. So they're reaching out to uh, different sources of where they can find you know their food instead of going to the grocery store. Or, you know, so yeah, it, it's it's helped in certain ways. Mm-hmm.
2: Can Can people get your stuff directly from you guys, or do they
3: have to go to the stores to get it to get like the flax? We don't have online ordering set up yet, but we do do direct shipments. Um, you can contact us via email or phone, and we can certainly send product to you. Otherwise, we are in retail stores and food co-ops in Minnesota and North Dakota.
0: In South Dakota. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And is it branded Askegaard Organic Farm Flax and... Yep. AskiGuard Organic.
3: Yep.
0: It is. Yes. And it carries a Minnesota Grown Organic label on it, which we're proud to have. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, great. All right. And people can follow you on Facebook and Instagram too. Who runs your social media? I do. Yeah. I'm in charge of that. (laughs) Is it challenging? I mean, we hear a lot of small business owners. They're like, oh, social media. We love to have it. But boy, is it hard to keep up with.
3: It's hard to keep up with when we get a lot of, you know, comments and questions. But honestly, I love it. I love photography and I love taking pictures. I joke, sometimes if I'm riding in the tractor with my dad, I'll say, stop the tractor. I see a picture and I'll get out and take a picture. And he's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) But I mean, I love taking pictures and making little videos and sharing them on social media. So I think that helps connect us to the consumer as well. So I really enjoy it. The
0: farm's fortunate that Beth has that that capability and she's good at it.
3: There's
2: definitely that trend, you know, with the millennial farmer and stuff to sort of have, you know, connecting, you know, local farmers who I think also, you know, kind of may know people in your region, but then being able to connect to other farm regions across the state and across the country, I think, which is really interesting because you're all doing kind of some of the same things or, but, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of reading each other's
3: reactions and stuff is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It really can connect you to a lot of people. So.
0: Yeah. The networking aspect is tremendous on social media. Mm -hmm.
1: I think people would be surprised to know how much technology you need to be familiar with and acquaint yourself with and use every day in a farming setting mark mm-hmm. over the course of your lifetime has that responsibility and expectation of your technological capabilities increased or changed
0: oh yeah it, it's definitely increased uh, things have changed so you know drastically in the 40 years that i've been farming you know we were just uh, everything was done manually a lot more lifting and uh, you know just things weren't done in bulk like they are today. You're picking up bags and everything and, and dumping them into your planter of seed. And, and now we've got RTK GPS, you know, so you have automatic steering, you know, it, the technology is nice, but it comes at a price too.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so it, it's good and bad.
3: It's good and bad. Also, um, you know, sometimes if the GPS isn't working, and I have to figure out how to drive a straight line myself, that can be kind of challenging because you get so used to using that, you know, GPS system. So it's good to keep your manual skills up just in case you have malfunctions.
0: We can become reliant on it somewhat. So you forget how to do things the old way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Which Which is, you know,
0: we like to incorporate the best of both in organics. We like to, you know, incorporate some modern technology, but yet we like to go back to the old and, and visit the things that are like heirloom seeds or things that may be more nutritionally superior or, uh, you know, so that we try to incorporate the best of both worlds into our farm.
2: So what is your favorite? I want each of you to tell me what is your favorite thing about farming for you
0: personally? My favorite thing about farming is being my own boss. <laughs> yes. Independence. And I, yes. think organi- I think organic farming allows me to have more independence than a lot of other farmers that would farm conventionally since, uh, you know, this technology has patented seeds and seed forms so you can't save seed and replant it. You have yeah. to buy new seed every year. So I like that independence and freedom of being able to grow a seed, save it, clean it and plant it again if I so choose. So yeah, I like to. Independence for me is a big thing.
3: I love it. My favorite thing about farming is just being in nature and feeling like, like I'm a part of nature. Um I like walking in the field and hearing the crickets and the frogs and, you know, seeing the sunset at night and the sunrise in the morning. It's just it's really rewarding to feel like, you know, it makes you feel like you're doing something good. It's fulfilling. It's real. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like real. Like you're
0: part of God's creation. Yeah,
3: yeah, it's real. Yeah. I Love it. I think I would be
2: Beth. I think I would totally be in that same thing. I think I would be like standing and staring, like touching all the tops of the wheat. And I, staring.
1: I would do yeah, that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Steph runs on Sunday mornings, and she says the outside run is her church. It's my church.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just
1: have yeah. to have quiet
0: you know connection with nature
3: yeah Yeah, i totally
1: get that Mm -hmm. yeah we really appreciate you guys being with us today and we appreciate minnesota cooks hooking us up ask a guard organic farm you guys are in moorhead people can find you on facebook they can find you on instagram find your products in local stores and local co-ops we just look forward to hope Hopefully meeting you at the state fair next year on the Minnesota Cook stage. Will you come? If we can get out at yes. the Yeah,
0: great. Yes. Yeah, that'd would would. be awesome.
1: Yeah. Can't wait to get back to the state fair. <laughs> yeah, us too. Thanks yeah. so much for joining us today. Thank, Thank you yeah. guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You can find other second helpings and the Weekly Dish podcast wherever it is that you find your podcasts. You can subscribe and find other great stories of local people making food throughout the state of Minnesota.